Well, again, welcome to Harvest. So glad you're here worshiping with us. My name is Pastor Micah, and uh, we are going to just dive right into God's Word today. So if you got your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Um, we've been working through um, this new series called Upside Down Kingdom, and uh, we entitled it that because uh, in this section of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, Jesus is delivering to his disciples what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, this is Jesus' most in-depth, direct, clear teaching to his disciples of what does it mean, what does it look like, how do we follow Jesus, not as citizens of this world or as uh, you know, residents of earth, but as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Those who are following a king that is greater and bigger and, and more holy and more awesome and more worthy than any human leader on this planet. How do we follow him? What does that look like? And sometimes it, oftentimes it looks a lot different uh, than what we think. It looks a lot different than what our world thinks. Um, and it definitely looks different uh, than the way the majority of our culture is trending. And uh, so we've been kind of walking through this, and each week Jesus has just kind of been laying on another layer of here's another thing to think about, and here's another thing to work on, and here's another thing to look at. And he's been dealing with some sin in our lives. He's been dealing with some issues in our hearts. But the last couple weeks we've moved into dealing with how does it look to have relationships, human relationships, underneath the banner of Jesus Christ. And uh, last week we, we talked a lot about what's it look like to not retaliate, what's it look like to, to love even when someone is against you and attacking you, and, and how do we deal with that. And today, it's really, this is just kind of part two of that. Jesus kind of builds on that as he moves into the next passage, uh, which he says, uh, love your enemies. And so today, uh, we, we just believe that the Bible uh, is God's word and that it has everything that we need. And so a lot of times, um, we just take it straight from there. So I entitled the sermon today, Love your enemy, okay? Can we just be cool with that? Is that simple enough? Like, we don't have to have some trendy thing, right? Like, Jesus said it, that's pretty good. So we'll go with that this morning. But what's interesting to me about this passage is this. It's a pretty well-known, common little section of Scripture here. It's a common phrase. Like, if you went out to just somebody on the street and said this phrase that we're supposed to, to love your enemies— most people, even if they're not Christians, even if they don't go to church, even if they've never really studied the Bible, they could probably tell you, oh yeah, isn't that something that like the Jesus said? Wasn't that like a, a Jesus thing, right? Like people know that phrase. They know that it kind of came from him, that that's kind of his, his deal. And so it's pretty common and well known to us. But when we actually think about carrying that out, when we think about not just hearing it or reading it or saying it, but when we actually think about doing it, that can become pretty daunting, right? Like, we, we, sometimes we, we come to scriptures like this one and think, like, it's in the Bible, but that's, like, more for, like, the, the varsity-level Christians, right? Like, those are, that's, like, for the ones that are, that are the top of the, the class. Like, those are the ones who have been, you know, like, not for us, like, second-string freshman Christians. Like, that's for the big dog, spiritual giant guys, right? Like, you know, like, Mother Teresa and, and Gandhi and, and MLK Jr. Like, that's, it's for the ones who really had it the ones who are really with Jesus, right? Like, not just for us average Christians. Sometimes we think like that, but we're wrong. Jesus is giving this command to his general whole group of disciples. And so now we have to wrestle with what's that mean? How do I deal with this? Because Jesus wants to take me to the next level 
of following him. He wants to, to move me up and closer and to, to him and who he's doing and what he's doing. And, but to do that, he's going to have to completely rearrange the way that we see relationships. And so today, um, Jesus is going to be communicating an idea to us here that I've summarized like this. No enemy remains where God's love reigns. That the key to dealing with enemies, the key to dealing with uh, people that we're against or people that are against us or, is love. And not just any love, but the love of God himself. And that as I allow the love of God to come into my heart and into my life as a follower of Christ, it's going to change and it's going to rearrange and it's going to completely, in some ways, tear down the way I think about who is my enemy. So with that being said, go ahead. We're in Matthew chapter 5. If you're visiting with us and maybe you don't have a Bible with you or something, there are some hardback black ones on the floor there underneath the chairs. We'd love for you to grab one of those and follow along with us as well. So Matthew chapter 5, picking up in verse 43 this morning, it says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So here's the first point this morning in your notes. I need to redefine, quote unquote, my enemy. We need to, we need to do some, some changing in the way we think today. We need to get a new definition about what it means for someone to be, quote unquote, my enemy. All right, can we, can we walk in that together today? Jesus starts off and he says, you have heard it said. He's been saying this like over and over again. Like, it's like a broken record. Like, Jesus like, you've heard, you've heard, you've heard. And he's always referencing this old, some Old Testament scripture and the teaching around it. And the one he's referencing here is Leviticus 19, 18, which we actually read last week as well. But it says this, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbors as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, the second part of that is actually fairly familiar to people, to Christians or people who have been in the church, because we also know that later on in the Gospels, Jesus is going to say that there's two greatest commandments to love God and, help me out, come on, love your neighbor as yourself, right? So Jesus is actually quoting this right here when he brings out that commandment. And so this is what he's drilling down here as well in Matthew um, 5, 43 and 44, but notice what is in that verse in Leviticus. Put that back up there for me. Notice what it doesn't say. Nowhere in that verse does it say, and hate your enemy. Is it there? Did I miss it? I, I was studying hard this week, but I, sometimes you know, I miss stuff too. Like, did I miss it? Is it there? It's not there. So is Jesus like misquoting the Bible? You think Jesus didn't know his Bible very well? You think that's what's going on here? There had become this teaching in the Jewish culture that if I'm supposed to love my neighbor, the fact that, Jesus, the, the, fact that the Old Testament had the word neighbor in the verse, that qualifier, then it must be implied that if I love my neighbor, then I need to do the opposite to people who aren't my neighbor, who are my enemy. And so if I love my neighbor, then obviously that means hate my enemy. And some Jewish rabbis actually started teaching us that we were supposed to, the Jews were supposed to hate or be against anyone who was outside of the Jewish faith. Okay? And Jesus is coming around and saying, listen, we need to correct this. This is, this is not what it's supposed to be. 
And so Jesus is addressing in the people, in the culture, this kind of majority mindset of, yes, love your neighbor, but not anybody else. And then he goes on, he says, but I say to you, again, changing the scorecard. He's going to completely change their definition of what is a neighbor and what is an enemy. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies. Which is such a hard statement because that's exactly the opposite of our natural tendencies, isn't it? Can we just be honest in church today, right? That's the opposite of how we feel when someone hurts us, attacks us, comes after us. It's not, oh man, I just want to love you more. Right? Like, if, if you feel that way, they try to put you on medication most of the time. Right? Like, that's, that's not the way we naturally go at this thing. But Jesus says that's exactly what we need to do. But my heart says love's not for enemies. Love's for friends and family. It's not for enemies, which then leads us to, okay, fine. If I'm supposed to love my enemies, then, then Jesus, who is my enemy? Like, it's not in the text here because they weren't having a dialogue. Jesus is preaching right now. But I'm sure in, if you were sitting there listening to Jesus, the first thing you would be like, okay, well then, then who's in that category? Right? Like, who do I have to love when we're talking about enemies here? And so I think if we can just do a simple clarification, enemies are people who do us evil, people who oppose you, people who challenge you or attack you or threaten you or hurt you. Would we all agree that that sounds like someone who would be in the enemy category this morning? The problem with that is, when you think about that, people who challenge you, threaten you, attack you, hurt you, sometimes, sometimes the people who do those things the most or the, the hardest, the deepest, are actually the people closest to us. Anybody had that experience? Right. Family, the friend, the person that you were super tight with, they did something and they turned and they hurt you or they attacked you or they challenged you on something. So what I've grown to understand in this life is that the line between a friend and an enemy is very thin and very fragile. Are you tracking today? Right. Oftentimes it seems like the separation between those two categories is kind of blurry. And it can be flipped either way pretty easily on any given day or moment. Or if you're a third grade girl, like our girls, minute to minute, right? Okay? So like, so Jesus says, love your enemies. And it's interesting, as we start to ask this question, who's my enemy? There's someone who actually asked a very similar question to Jesus in Luke 10, 29, but he kind of went the other direction this lawyer comes up to him and asks him, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And he responds with, okay, Jesus, fine. Then who is my neighbor, right? And in classic Jesus form, he doesn't actually answer the question. He just tells the guy a story. You know what story he told him? The Good Samaritan. Now, again, a very famous, well-known story, even in modern culture. So he goes through this whole story about this Jew who's on the side of the road and he's all hurt and he's beaten up and he's about to die. And all these Jews keep walking by him and ignoring him and not touching him and not helping him. And then finally, a Samaritan comes by. And the Samaritan and the Jews, man, they hated each other. They were like arch enemies in, the, in, the, in this time, in this part of the world. And they were seen as just like, they hated each other. 
But the Samaritan comes by and he sees the guy and he stops and he helps him and he binds up his wounds and he puts him on his donkey and he takes him into town and he gets him cared for and he pays for all of it. And he is a neighbor to this man. And Jesus' point with the story is, listen, your neighbor isn't about categories. It's not about labels. It's not about who's from what neighborhood or this, this family or that family. Or It's about who you love. Your neighbor should be everyone because you should be loving everyone, Jesus says. That's the point of the story. I love how Jesus is constantly tearing down our sinful categories that we like to put on life. He's tearing down walls. He's tearing down categories. He's tearing down separation. He's like, listen, you're not seeing this correctly. Let me help you. And so as I was studying this week, I came up with this, this question came to my heart. I'm, I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to answer it today. I'm just going to lay it before you for you to wrestle with a little bit. What if, quote unquote, enemy is just a category that we use to justify our sinful anger and hatred? What if in our hearts and in our minds, enemy is just a construct, a category, a, a something that we've created so we can put people in it when we want to feel justified in hating them and, and, and being against them and being angry with them. I think Jesus' point here is, listen, there's, no, there's not two categories. Because as we study God's word, we find out that people, humans, are not your enemy. Over and over again in the Bible, nowhere does it say that other people are your enemy. You know, what it, you know who it says is your enemy? The one true enemy that the Bible points us to is not others, it's Satan himself. 1 Peter 5, 8 says it this way, be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary or Another word for adversary would be your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I think this is what Jesus is getting at here. He's like, listen, there's not two categories. There's not an enemy and a friend category or an enemy and a family category. There is just one category. Sinful, broken people who need God's love. There's one category. And guess what? We're all in it. You too, you, me, all of us are in this one category together, sinful, broken people who need God's love. And Jesus is calling us here to step out of these extra categories we create and just show love to everyone that we come in contact with. There was a, a story um, years and years ago now, 2006, of a, of a shooting that happened in uh, this little Amish schoolhouse in Pennsylvania. I don't know if you guys remember this or not. It made national news. It was covered all over the place. It was tragic. So this, this man goes into there and he, and he starts opening fire. I think he killed five and wounded five of these children. But what really made an impact, what really got the attention of our news media was the response of the Amish community the parents in the community around this school reached out and started loving the shooter and his family and started showing them grace and forgiveness. Even though 
everyone else in the world would say this is supposed to be your enemy. And I actually found this little video of the mother of the shooter giving testimony to how she was received by this Amish community in response to what her son did. Check out this little interview real quick. As the nation marks the anniversary this week of the Newtown, Connecticut school shooting, families of some of the 26 who were killed attended a vigil today at the National Cathedral in Washington. Prayers were offered for all of the victims of gun violence in this country, and that would include the five young Amish girls who were killed and five who were wounded just a few years ago in South Central Pennsylvania. Jeff Glore tells us that out of the horror of that school shooting has come a lesson in forgiveness. It's been seven years since Terry Roberts' life changed forever. In October 2006, her 32-year-old son Charlie walked into an Amish school in Lancaster County and shot 10 young girls before killing himself. I heard the sirens and saw helicopters. Then the phone was ringing and it was my husband. And he said, I need you to come to Charlie's house right away. And I got out of the car and I looked at my husband and these sunken eyes just saying, it was Charlie. That could not be. And yet it truly was, it was true, it was our son. Robert's initial reaction was that she had to move away. But the Amish came to her house the night of the shooting to say they wanted her to stay. Some of the victim's families attended her son's funeral. There are not words to describe how that made us feel that day. And then for the mother and father that had lost not just one, but two daughters at the hand of our son to come up and be the first ones to greet us. Wow, is there anything in this life we shouldn't forgive? Terry Roberts now shares this message with those who've experienced trauma. And every Thursday, she cares for the most seriously wounded survivor of the shooting, now 13. It's against Amish beliefs to appear on camera, so Donald Craighill often speaks on their behalf. You have this mother who raised a son that did this horrific damage to this young woman. And the mother has the courage and the spiritual fortitude to come back and to care for this uh, young woman. And the parents of the young woman welcome her into their home. It's a powerful, powerful story. Those families in Newtown who may still have understandably conflicted feelings now still less than a year later, what do you, what do you say to them? Ask God to provide new things in your lives new things to focus on, and that doesn't take the place of what is lost. But it can give us a hope and a future. A future made possible for Terry Roberts because of forgiveness. Jeff Glor, CBS News, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. It's an amazing picture of love and forgiveness for again, someone who the world would say, that should be an enemy. Right? And I, I'm sure many of you, especially if you're parents or grandparents or uncles or aunts or whatever, I'm sure you're thinking the same thing that I was thinking when I first started looking at this was like, there's no, there's no way I could do that. There's no way I could say 
it's okay, I love you, come, help, I'm here for you. Like, they, they, they took my child, they did this, they did that. They, and some of us here today have people that are our enemies that have done something much less to us than that, but still something. And in our hearts, we're saying, I can't forgive or love. I, I won't forgive or love this person because of what they've done, because of this or, or that, or because of this offense, or I just can't do that. But Jesus says it doesn't have to be that way. He calls us to love. In fact, the only thing that makes someone my enemy is my refusal to love them. The only thing that makes someone my enemy is my refusal to love them. It's not what they did. It's not what they said. It's not the offense or the hurt. It's my choice. But Jesus goes on then to talk more. Look at verse 45. It says, love your enemies and pray for them so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Second point today is, remember, I was the enemy too. At one point, I was the enemy. He says here, so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. You remember that saying, like father, like son, right? And for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that we are now sons or daughters of God, that we are a child of the king. And as sons and daughters, we're supposed to look like, we're supposed to act like, we're supposed to be like the father. And once there's that status change, once we go from being an enemy of God to a child of God, there should also be a life change that happens. Matthew 12, 50 says, For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. He's saying, listen, it's a matter of obedience. It's a matter of are you doing what the Father does? That's how we show, that's not how we earn our sonship or daughtership. It's how we prove that we're following God. Because we weren't always sons of God. At one point, we were actually, the scriptures say, and this is a scary line for many of us, but we were actually sons of Satan. 1 John 3, 10 says it like this, but this is, by, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Now, the first one I kind of kind of makes sense to us. Like, yeah, okay, if you're not following God's word, then you're not a child of God. But then he tacks on that last part, <laughs> right? That if you don't love others, then are you really a child of God? 
We were sons of Satan. We were enemies of God. Romans 5.10 says that for while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So there was a time that all of us were enemies of God. We were sons of Satan. We were the ones on the outside. And God chose not to hate us, not to strike us down, not to pour wrath on us. He chose to love us. He chose to say, even though you are broken and rebellious and sinful people, I'm going to come and I'm going to make a way. I'm going to send my son, Jesus, to come and live the perfect sinless life that you can't live in your place. And then to die a sinner's death on the cross for your sins. To take your debt, to pay your way, to make forgiveness a possibility for you. And he came and he died and he was buried. And three days later he rose back to life to show everyone that he was God. That he had done what he said he would do. That he had come and he had righted the wrongs and he had now offering to us his enemies Love and forgiveness and grace. This is our God. This is the gospel. See, God doesn't hate you. Some of you don't believe that today. Some of you have been piling up a list of sins and offenses and problems and issues in your life for years and years and years. And you've been making a case that God doesn't love me. He couldn't possibly love me after what I've done, after what I've seen, after where I've been, after what's happened to me. Where's God in that? But he does love you. He doesn't hate you. God hates Satan. He doesn't hate you. Have you seen my life, Micah? Do you know the story? How can you possibly say that? Because Jesus says right here that God gives son to the just and the unjust. And he sends rain on the good and on the evil. We call that common grace. That God has poured out common grace on all of his creation. That he has showered all of us in love and grace and mercy that we did not deserve. In a hope that as he does that, we would see him for who he truly is. And it would call us in, not just to his common grace, but it would call us into his saving grace. As we put our faith in Jesus Christ. I'm not saying your life's been perfect. I'm not saying you've done it all right. I'm not saying you haven't had hardships. Man, we live in a broken, sinful world, and that makes life really tough. It just does. And Jesus doesn't wash all that away. He just helps us through it. And so as we're called into this family to be sons and daughters of God, he points us to Jesus the firstborn son, as our model. And what Jesus is asking us to do here to love our enemies, Jesus modeled for us perfectly 
at his darkest, lowest, most hurtful, most excruciating moment on the cross, Luke 23, 34, Jesus on the cross, it says, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And what's interesting there about the verbs in that section is that they are actually in the imperfect tense, which suggests that it was being done over and over and over and over. While they're nailing his hands and his feet to the cross, while they're spitting on him and yelling at him and mocking him, and the whole time, Jesus is praying, God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't get it. And he's showing love to his enemies. If we're truly sons and daughters of God, we will do the same. We will love and pray for those who still need to experience God's grace in their life. That person who's hurting you and attacking you and coming after you, that's what they need. They need Jesus. Even if they're already a Christian, they need more of Jesus, just like we all do. And God's calling us to be the person who shows them that through love. Let me give you just a, a hypothetical situation this morning. These are always kind of dangerous, right? Hypotheticals are always a little scary. But let's say that I, I asked you to go down here to West County Mall or South County Mall or something and to do a survey. So I say, I give you the clipboard, I give you the pen, I give you the whole thing. You're going to go down there, you're going to ask just one question. Each person that comes by, you're going to stop, just ask them one question. What is the primary thing you think about when you think about Christians? What's the primary trait? What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think about Christians? What kind of responses do you think we would get? Come on. Okay, judgmental, hypocrite, angry, we probably get lots of different answers, right? Everybody has different experiences with the church, with Christians, with Jesus. How long do you think it would take before somebody's response was love? The first thing I think about, the, the very first thing I think about when I think about Christians is love. How long do you think it would take to get that response? Unfortunately, I, I think we might be there for a while which is a major problem for us because that's the exact opposite of what Jesus says to us. John 13, 35, by this, he's talking to his disciples, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's how he said they're gonna know. They're gonna know you're mine by your love. That's what the, the first church was known for, right? When you go back and you study church history, like the earliest church, and you have the Romans, because they were in the Roman Empire, right? And you have the Roman historians writing about the first church, right? They didn't like the church. 
they, they talk about how naive they were and how, how they were problem makers and all the stuff and blah, blah, blah. They did not talk nicely about the church at all. But in the Roman histori- historical documents, they always say this, but the early church, they loved. Like they loved people, man. Like they're, they're caring for our people better than our government is caring for them. Right? They're, they're the outcast and the orphan and the widow and the sick. Like they're loving them and they're caring for them and they're showing something that even our own people won't show to them. That's what the church was known for. And that's what made the Christianity and the gospel spread like wildfire through the world in those earliest days was love. That's what drew us in, right? When you finally grasped the love of Jesus Christ for you and your sin, wasn't that the game changer? Wasn't that the, okay, I'm in. That love is the same thing that we must have to help others come to Jesus also. God's love changed me from enemy to family. Now my love can do the same for someone else. You gotta remember, once I was an enemy of God, his love changed me from enemy to family. And now my love can do the same for someone else. We need to redefine what we think about when we think about enemy. We need to remember that we came from that same place. And then lastly, we need to resist the real enemy with real love. Point number three, resist the real enemy, Satan, with real love. Jesus actually, in this passage, lays out for us kind of a three-step process of how to do this. So I'm just gonna give that to you this morning. This isn't like original with me. This is just coming from Jesus. It's coming from the word. Three things that we have to do to get on the love your enemy train, okay? Number one is change my mind. I need to change my mind in the way I think about enemy. This goes back to verse 43. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. We have to start thinking differently. We have to stop labeling people in categories of friends and enemies and, and, and stop trying to hate sinners. Right? That's not what we're called to do. That's what Satan wants you to do. Do you understand that? That when we hate others for their sin, then we're actually playing for Satan's team. Satan wants us to hate one another. He wants us to be in each other's throats. He wants us to be on that. Jesus doesn't want us to hate other sinners. He wants us to what? Love them. If we want to play for Team Jesus, we need to get on the love thing. So I need to change my mind about how I think about this and reserve the hate for the true enemy. You can hate him all day long, man. That's a healthy place for that. But not for others. Change my mind. Step two, change my heart. Again, Jesus goes on. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you 
so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Jesus tells us right here, love and pray. Both of those work together because once you're loving and praying, then it becomes a heart issue, not just a hands issue. Have you ever been in that moment or in that relationship with somebody where you're like, I know I'm supposed to love them, so I'm going to do this for them, I'm going to do this for them, I'm going to do this for them. And you start going through the actions that supposedly are actions of love, but there's not really any heart behind it. You're just doing it to check the box. You're just doing it to prove or do whatever you've got to do to say, yeah, I'm loving that person, but there's really no love exuding from here. Jesus, that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's not asking you to fake it till you make it, okay? Like, that's not what Jesus is calling us to here. He's saying it's got to be a heart change towards that person. Not just going through the motions. Going through the motions is false. That's false love. Nobody wants that. That doesn't help anybody. We need to love and pray. Because when we pray, we bring God into it. Right? Now it's not just me doing it. I'm bringing God into it, and I'm praying for his love to flood my heart and to flood their hearts and to make this thing work. And it becomes a wheel, right? As I love them, then I am led to pray for them. And as I pray for them, I'm led to love them and then pray for them. And it just becomes this cycle, right? As I love and then I pray. Have you ever tried to pray for somebody that you're mad at? Like it just like melts all that away, right? Like just, if you're really praying, like, not like the David prayer, like, not the, like God spite my enemy's prayer, but like the, like the real prayer, you know what I'm talking about? Like it just kind of melts all of that down. Jesus says, love and pray, and love and pray, and love and pray. Because our God sends sun and rain on all of us. Here's God's plan. Mercy over merit, okay? God's plan is mercy over merit. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to do anything. It's not just how good you can be or how many boxes you can check for God. No, he's like, I'm gonna love you no matter what. I'm gonna send sun and rain. I'm gonna send good gifts. I'm going to just shower down on you exactly what you need for this life. I'm gonna trust that's gonna change your heart so you'll respond to me. Mercy over merit. That's the heart we have to have towards other people. Change my mind, change my heart, last step, change my target. Get to these last couple verses real quick. Verse 46, look at this. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do do not even Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. As followers of Christ, our target is not the ordinary, it's the extraordinary. Right? It's not the common, it's the uncommon. It's not just the natural relationship way, it's the supernatural way that comes from Jesus. He's calling us to something greater. Right here, he, he says, if you love the people who love you, right? If, if someone's loving you, that's easy to love them back. That's natural. That's actually kind of self-serving, if we're really honest, right? Like, I'll love you as long as you love me. And we play this little tit-for-tat game. Jesus is like, that's easy. That, everybody does that, right? Even the tax collectors and the sinners, like, which were, by the way, like the two worst categories you could give to Jews, right? Like, the tax collectors were the, the traitors, and the, the sinners were the ones who didn't care about God. Like, he's like, is that really who you're trying to be like? 
Like you're measuring your love against those guys? That's your target? (laughs) That's easy. That's not what we're called to. We're called to a, a higher target than that. He says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, which at first can be a little offsetting because we're like, yeah, that's a tall order, Micah. He knows we're never going to be perfect in the sense of flawless in this life on this earth. The Bible makes that painfully clear other places, right? When he's saying here, be perfect as your father's perfect, it's again, it's that continuous tense. It's be being perfect is really the better translation. Be moving towards that. Be pursuing that. Make God's character, God's holiness, God's way, make that your target. Make that the direction you're going. Make that what you're shooting for. Not this over here. Not the measure of some other man around you. But are you following? Are you pursuing? Are you going after God as you mature, as you're sanctified, as you're walking more and more with Jesus? We're keeping our target on God himself, his way, his character. This all points back to where we actually started in Matthew chapter 5. Remember, we start with the Beatitudes. Matthew 5, 3. The very first one says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What Jesus is saying there is, listen, it's when you know that you don't got it. That's when you're ready. When you know you can't do it on your own, when you know you can't fix it, when you know you are poor in spirit and you need me to come and lift you up, then you're ready. And that is the basis for loving others, knowing that I'm not awesome, I'm not bringing anything to the table, I don't deserve more than they deserve, they're broken, sinful people just like me, and I'm going to love them the way God loves me. That's how we change the target. I need to remember the merciful love that I received from God so I can be empowered to mercifully love others around me. There's another saying that's common in our culture. um, The enemy of my enemy is my friend. All right, some of y'all read Art of War. That's good. Okay, so... Usually that's used in war and allies and like that's usually more of a conflict type of situation, but it actually applies really well for us and for Jesus. See, we all have the same enemy, right? It's not your mom, it's not your dad, it's not your boss or your neighbor or the, the, the guy on the, on the softball team or whatever. Like it's not, it's not those people. We all have the same enemy, the one true enemy is Satan. He wants to kill and steal and destroy your life. And he'll do whatever it takes. He'll use somebody else. He'll use a conflict. He'll use a job thing. He'll use whatever he can use to attack you. But you, do you know who Satan's other enemy is? It's Jesus. Right? He hates Jesus. And trust me, the feeling is mutual. Okay? Like, there's no love reciprocal right there. And so, if I want to defeat Satan's power in my life, if you want to defeat Satan's power in your life, we need to team up with the enemy of our enemy, who is Jesus. He has the power that you need to do what he's calling you to do. 
You have to give your life to him. You have to walk with him. You have to trust in him. He becomes a really powerful ally in our fight against evil and Satan. But the cool thing is it doesn't stop there. We can take that even a step further. Because again, every one of us has the same enemy. And so as I am teamed up with Christ to fight against the attacks of Satan, I can now see this person over here who said something to me or did something to me or hurt me as not the enemy, but as an enemy of my enemy, and I can draw them in on Team Jesus through the love of Jesus so we can all be fighting against the enemy together. Jesus has given us a way to ally together as followers of Christ and make a stand in this world that will actually be different. But listen, we're not going to achieve that by simply knowing more of the Bible, by doing more good works around our community, by giving more money to so-and-so, or be signing up for the right religious group or church, or proving how strong and awesome we are by doing it ourselves. None of that's going to get it done. The only thing that helps us in our fight against Satan and in our life with others is love. It's Jesus' love. By this, all will know that you are my disciples. Two greatest commandments. Love God and love others. That's That's what he said. He didn't say know me. He didn't say do this. He didn't say give this. He said love. Love is the basis. Love is the key to a life fulfilled in Jesus. It's my only way to defeat Satan and reflect Jesus. It comes through love. So I go back to the beginning again. If we were to summarize all this together, no enemy remains where God's love reigns. Does God's love reign in your heart? Does God's love reign in your life? As as it does, as we allow that to be true, it takes away all the categories, it takes away all the offense, it washes clean the slate, so there are no more enemies for us on this earth. It's just people who need the love of Jesus Christ. So how are you doing with that? How's your love quotient in your life right now? Not just with the people you like, all right? Not just with the the people who like you. That's easy, right? What about the people you don't like? What about the people who don't like you? How are we doing at loving them? The Bible tells us that God is love. That he makes us his own through his sacrificial love for us. We have, if we're going to do this church, if we're going to do anything for the Lord, we have to be known as a people, most of all, by our love. I don't know if we can change the whole world's perspective on Christians. 
But how awesome would it be if in five years or 10 years, we go to the mall and we do the survey and we say, hey, what do you know about people who, who go to harvest? They're like, man, they're kind of weird. They, 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 they scream a lot and they, they get excited about stuff that doesn't seem that big of a deal to me, but they're excited about it. But over all of that, let me just tell you, man, they love. They're people who love. Like that would be an awesome, game-changing testimony for the Lord. Because if we fail to love, we fail, period. It doesn't matter what you know, it doesn't matter what you do, it doesn't matter how good you are or what you've done right or wrong. If we fail to love, we fail, period. We need the love of Christ filling us up to do that. Lord, make us more like Jesus today. Let's stand and pray and respond to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight. I'm sorry, this morning. That was a long sermon. Lord, thank you so much for letting us come and worship in your presence this morning. God, we are here for you. We are here as a people who love you and want to serve you and want to follow you. Lord, we want to be citizens of your kingdom. But we know we fall short. We know that we fail. We know that we are not doing this perfect. And so, Lord, we need you today. Father, your love is perfect in every way. You are gracious and merciful more than we ever deserve. Lord, thank you for loving us when we were still your enemies, when we were still fighting against you, when we were still opposed to you. Thank you for loving us and bringing us into your family. Thank you for the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the freedom that it gives us to walk in grace and mercy. Help us now, Lord, to love like you love, to love like Jesus. No matter who the person is, no matter what the offense is, no matter what the circumstances are, Lord, may love reign supremely in our lives today. Lord, change us, change our minds, change our hearts, change our target. Give us your love. Let us be a people who are known for love. And may it start with us. Christ, and we pray.